That's a terrible call. That is a terrible call. Hello guys, happy Monday. Welcome back to the Celtics Blog Podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, your host, and today I'm just joined by Justin Rowan. Justin's a fellow SB Nation compadre running things over at Fear Disorder, is it? Uh, yeah, actually, funny enough, uh, I just announced this week that I'll be leaving Fearless Sword. I'll, I'll still be doing some features from time to time there, uh, but kind of handing over some of the day-to-day responsibilities to to the new crop of guys coming up there. But uh, long, long time on Fearless Sword, and kind of feel like a lifer there for sure. That's a big loss to Cavs SB Nation and to SB Nation in the whole. Where are you going to next? You know what? I'm I'm going to be focusing primarily on podcasting. I just couldn't kind of commit to the same day to day. As I said, I'll, I'll probably still throw the odd feature up there, um, but just kind of focusing more on this medium uh, for for next season. Yeah, and you're doing very well with your podcast. Your part, you've joined Blue Wire Podcast as well, right? That, that's correct. Um, we we were among the uh, the first podcast to to join up with Blue Wire, and it's it's amazing how much it's grown over the the last two years here. It's uh, it's really fun project to be a part of, and uh, part of what's motivated me to kind of take an expanded role there. I mean, well, we wish you the best of luck. But while you're still part of SB Nation for this week, you're definitely going to be helping me out. As everybody been listening knows, we're doing a team by team covering to the draft this week. I'll be putting up the Excel sheet in an article so everybody can track it whenever I speak to somebody new and we can start building out this big board before the final mock draft. So you're, you've been covering the Cavs. It's been a difficult season for you guys. Johnny Beeline, nothing's meshed great. <laughs> Darius Garland looks good. Yeah, so Garland, it's interesting because I think there's important context to have there with him, which is... He wasn't even healthy for the start of training camp. He was rehabbing that knee surgery, only had five games in college. Um, so you're really talking about a high school to pro guy that that didn't have a lot of time to kind of add strength and prep for this NBA season. Um, I imagine next season you would expect to see a little bit more of a leap from him. Um, if you don't, maybe that's some cause for concern, but the, the fact that he has been a better passer than advertised seems to have a good feel for the game just kind of lacks a little bit of that consistency. Um, he's incredibly thin, uh, so he'll need to add some strength. Um, but the fact that he's kind of done better in areas that he wasn't expected to be good at um, is an encouraging sign if you're assuming that the shooting and everything else is going to come along. And how do you feel the year's gone for the Cavs as a whole? Was you a fan of Johnny Beadon and what he was trying to achieve, or did you feel they made the right decision going a different way? I, I, I think it became clear... I, I thought it was a worthwhile gamble at the start of the year. Um, I liked the assistant coaching staff that they put around him. I, I thought that that was going to be able to enable him um, to to make the transition a little easier. Um, but it became very clear, and, and we were hearing about it even before training camp, that time management was an issue in, in Vegas, uh, the summer league. He, he worked those guys 
incredibly hard and actually led to the stress reaction that lost Dylan Windler's rookie season um, would help contribute to that. So it became clear that time management was an issue. And I, I think it speaks volumes that Beeline was willing to step away from his contract. He he quit midway through his first season, left all that money on the table because he understood that the, the, he was just not cut out for this job. So um, I, I guess it's a positive that they came to that realization early on uh, rather than the situation dragging out. But it certainly does feel like a, a little bit of a missed opportunity, especially when you start to see uh, the guys getting a little bit more comfortable a- after he was out of the picture. And in terms of him leaving his contracts on the table, that's understandable. If you know you're not the man for the job and there's going to be college offers waiting for him uh, this summer, assuming that there's available spaces. <laughs> <you know? laughs> well, see, that I think that was part of it. I, I think the reason he made the decision when he did uh, was so that he'd be available for the college coaching carousel, which uh, ended up getting delayed here. But um, I definitely think that that was a, a big factor in the decision-making. And obviously, you've, the team as a whole just hasn't had a great season. You had the coaching issues. Then a new coach steps in, so you have to start learning his scheme and what he wants you, how he wants you to play, where he wants you on defense. And it's led to you guys having a projected very good pick. Currently second. There we go. Yeah. So that, that, that loss to Chicago right, at the, right before everything got suspended uh, helped out there. Uh, otherwise, they, they would have dropped. It's a pretty neck-and-neck race. So as things are at the moment, assuming that if the league does come back, it jumps to playoffs, which pretty much consolidates the lot- lottery as it is going in. If you fall at second, we've spoke before we came on air about three guys that you feel like would be beneficial to the Cavs. So let's have a look at each one of them and what you think w- their skill set would help the Cavs with and how they would expedite this rebuild process. Absolutely. Happy to jump into it. Who's your number one guy? Who, if if he's, a, well, he's going to be available, if he doesn't pick first, who's it going to be? Yeah, so in this draft, I really don't feel like there's any franchise cornerstones. This is a very weak draft. But at the same time, I, I do think that there is the potential for some real quality starters. And Okongwu uh, out of USC is at the top of my list. I know the consensus has kind of shifted from... Uh, centers being a big part of teams in the past to now being kind of uh, a position that you don't want to take high in the draft. And I feel like Okongwu is an exception to that because what we are seeing is if you have a, a versatile center that is able to switch and guard multiple positions, be out on the perimeter, um, and, and kind of have that versatility where you, you can do that on the outside as well as provide rim protection, those guys are very, very valuable. You're, you're talking about players in the mold of Bam Adebayo, Pascal Siakam, uh, the, these versatile bigs that uh, I don't think you can really even define as traditional centers. Uh, so Okongwu is very, very high on that list. And because I don't have a lot of confidence in anybody in this draft really being an offensive focal point um, outside of maybe ball, um, I, I really prioritize defense in this draft, especially when you look at how deficient the Cavs are in that area. That's a really good point you make on due to the lack of offensive talent. You, the best idea is to go and pick up the best defensive player, which consensusly is a Kongwu. I was looking at some film over the last few days. Uh, I was finishing up literally 20 minutes before we started. His defense really sticks out as 
there's obviously a lot of scalability available to him, both offensively and defensively. But he definitely can... I mean, he reads passing lanes really well. He can really get those weak side blocks down. I like the way that when he's exposed onto smaller guys, he's not being... Sorry, when he's switched onto smaller guys, he's not being exposed. The only thing that really worries me about him in terms of defense is how easily he is to bite on pump fakes, especially when closing out onto the perimeter. Yeah. No, no, I I think that's absolutely fair. And um, when it comes to young big men, I I do think defense, it it takes so much because understanding defense as the center, and I think people sometimes forget about, they look at what they do individually. Um, You have to have a complete understanding of what the entire team is doing defensively. You have to be that quarterback. You have to be that point guard of the defense. You have to be able to communicate and I, I think that that's something that with Okongwu, you, you want to work on him saying, okay, I'd almost rather you not chase blocks and stay on the ground, stay in position, um, call out what's, uh, what, what's happening in front of you and kind of be in the eyes of the defense. And, and that's something that's going to take time. I, I think you, you see um, centers kind of reach the, their peak defensively around 23, 24 years old. Um, and, and kind of grow from there. They, they might be good individually, uh, defensively, but it, uh, at least when it comes to understanding the team concept, I think patience is something you will always need at that position. Um, it, it's, it's kind of unfortunate that Andre Drummond is in the mix because I, I think Tristan Thompson would be an ideal mentor uh, for Okongwu. I, I think they kind of profile similarly defensively. I think Okongwu has higher potential as a rim protector. But when it comes to understanding defensive schemes, uh, that, that switchability, that, that was a huge part of Tristan Thompson's game um, during the, those finals runs. So it, I would love for him to be a mentor, but it doesn't seem likely that he's going to be on the roster next season. And then once they're down the other end of the floor and we're talking offense at this point, what have you seen from a Kongwu that lets you know there's a scalability factor on the offensive end of the floor? Well, one thing I like is he doesn't really attempt a whole lot of things that are outside of his comfort zone. I I think um, off-ball awareness is something that is very, very undervalued. He seems to understand where those passing lanes are and and gets himself into those areas. Uh, He has a good catch radius and and a very explosive athlete. He has a good second, third bounce. Um, I I do think he has some touch. I I think it's going to take some time uh, for him to develop an outside shot if he ever does. Um, But I don't think that's necessary as long as he can kind of uh, continue to build some of the vision he's shown as as a passer um, and and continue to get into those open spots off ball. Um, I I think that he's somebody that that can be a very good scorer out of the pick and roll. And I, I think unless you have a Jokic type center where they, they can really quarterback the entire offense. I, I think a guy that understands what he does well and sticks to those things is very, very valuable in today's NBA. I completely agree. Stick within your comfort zone and build on what you're already good at. And then once you get to a point that that's second nature, then start to expand your repertoire. The Correct. one that yeah. I've got down yeah. here in big, bold writing, which means I definitely wanted to mention it was his very old school when he's playing on the post, the footwork, the, the body feints, and the way he can pull the wrap around to get the, the drop step on guys is very 90s-esque. And to, I, look, I grew up in that, watching that era of basketball, so I'm always going to navigate to post guys as, just because of my age. 
What right. does worry me though is when he is being when he is posting up, he doesn't see a double team coming, and then he can kind of run into a turnover from it. And that's just IQ. Do you think his IQ is at a level where it can be improved on, or is it going to be something that holds him back throughout his career? Um, I, I think that it, it's certainly an area where there there's room for growth. I think one thing we've seen at USC, and this is starting to become a, a trend, is guys not being used properly and not being coached the right way. I think we saw that last year with Kevin Porter Jr., um, where he, he really um, struggled when, when it came to USC. And I, he's a lottery-type talent. I, I think he's shown already in his rookie season that he's probably a top-10 player in this past draft. Um, and I think that there's going to be a similar thing with Okongwu. I think you might have to simplify things. So here are the touches you're going to get. Here are the reads you need to make in that situation. And I don't think that that guidance is being provided. Um, I don't think he's necessarily going to see a ton of post-ups early in his career. And if he does, I would imagine that any NBA team that takes him is going to let him know what the reads are in those situations. Um, and, and make things a little bit easier. And let's face it, it's it's not like he's a very, very high upside prospect on offense. Uh, he's not like, let's say, a DeAndre Aiden uh, when it comes to that. So I don't think defenses are going to pay him the same attention in the NBA as they, they would uh, in college. And, and that room that they'll provide him with is going to give him some area for growth. That's a completely fair point. It's not like he's going to be a focal point enough. And if you're drafting Okongwu, you're not drafting him to become a scorer. You're drafting him because he could eventually project as an all-NBA second-team or first-team defense long-term. And and for the Cavs, uh, especially when you look at the three guys that they've kind of identified right now, with Sexton, Garland, and Kevin Porter Jr., those are three guys that really, really have thrived in the past in the pick and roll and should be good pick and roll players. And one of the problems with Bayline is, and and this is an unfortunate thing with a lot of college coaches is they don't like the pick and roll heavy NBA that we we see these days. Uh, There there was a lot of off ball motion handoffs and and stuff to kind of show, Hey, I'm, I'm an offensive genius. It's, it's not going with the, the very productive play. So I I think with JB Bickerstaff, we started to see more pick and roll. Uh, Sexton started to take off a whole lot more after that. And I, I think Okongwu fits very well with the uh, the personnel that they have offensively currently. As a pick-and-roll threat, especially on deep rolls, he's a love threat all the way. The vertical spacing he'll bring to the team is phenomenal. Short rolls, he does tend to... He seems to run into where the traffic is instead of trying yeah. to find a, find a way to get the into a passing angle. But again, that's just IQ. It's learnability. It's not something that feels like it's beyond his scope of scalability. Yeah, but his athleticism on both ends of the floor is it's the main reason his upside is so high in my opinion no no I I completely agree and if he can if he can at least learn to make those passes out of the short roll I I think that 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 alone uh, brings his offense to a level where you you feel very comfortable taking him high in this draft I feel like if a if a big can pass successfully out of the short roll to either corner then their ability to remain on the floor and have longevity in their career is increased tenfold. It's such such an important skill for a big to have these days. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. So if the Cavs are unlucky and Okongwu goes first or the Cavs don't get the second pick once the lottery balls fall, 
Who's going to be your second option? So this is tricky. I really don't want to see the Cavs take another guard in this draft. Uh, if they do, I think Killian Hayes is the only option that I'd really be comfortable with, uh, primarily due to his length and kind of how he projects on the defensive end. Uh, he's six six, uh, very strong combo guard potential with him. Um, and you can kind of play him alongside uh, of a lot of the guys that they have on their roster now. I think it forces you into some uncomfortable situations, and I, I don't know if you can develop four guards at the same time when they all need those touches. Um, so if, if he's off the board, then I'd like – I mean, Okongwu was off the board. Uh, I'd prefer them to go with uh, Denny Ajiva, um, but if they are going to go with a guard, I, I'd probably say Killian Hayes. And if we're talking about the guards that are already on the Cavs roster versus Killian Hayes, do you think Hayes comes in with a higher ceiling than the guards you've already got, or a, at least a higher floor? Uh, I, I think maybe floor, because uh, I, I really do like his potential on defense. But that's one of the main things is when I look at this draft, you probably rank the three guards um, in terms of upside currently, uh, Kevin Porter Jr. Sexton has already proven that he at least has a floor uh, as a high volume scorer and has done it with decent efficiency now. Uh, nice combo guard potential, probably worst case scenarios, maybe a seventh man off the bench. Uh, Darius Garland obviously has a whole lot more to prove, but as a prospect, um, I don't know if I'd take any of the guards in this draft over him. Um, I certainly think there's the potential for guards to be better than him in this draft. I, I think uh, LaMelo Ball uh, jumps out. I wouldn't be surprised if Killian Hayes was better. But I don't think that they're a tier above. And I, I don't think that they're a tier above the other prospects in this, cro- uh, in this draft. Um, I, I don't necessarily believe that they're in a tier above uh, Okongwu or uh, even uh, Denny, I, I, I would, wouldn't be surprised if, if they end up being similar NBA players. So for that reason, um, because there, there's no clear best player available, I'd rather draft at a position of need, uh, especially when it comes to a, a prospect that can contribute on the defensive end. So if they do pick a guard in this draft, you're going to be a little bit disappointed for that reason. Yeah, because I I think you have to also factor in your ability to develop a player. And I I think the Cavs have done a good job of player development. I I think the young guys have, um, they've shown growth since they've been with the organization. But at the same time, you have to have confidence that you're going to be able to give the player enough reps and the type of reps that they need to reach their ceiling. And I, I feel like if you take someone like Ball or even Hayes, Someone is going to get shortchanged in that situation. Uh, You go into next season, maybe Garland doesn't take a step forward and he gets put to the bench and he is in a reduced role. Um, Maybe he does take a step forward and you aren't able to showcase Hayes in the way that you want. And you also run into an uncomfortable position where other teams understand, hey, they have a surplus of guards and we don't have to offer them as much value if you want to poach one of those guards away. Um, so for that reason, I, I just, I worry about the ability to bring all of those guards to their respective ceilings if you're putting them in that situation. And, um, ball especially is one that I'm confident he's going to be a good NBA player. I, I do like him as a prospect. 
Um, but from the off-court concerns to kind of the uh, the way that he has played as a ball-dominant player, um, I think adding him to this mix w- would really make things difficult for the Cavs. When we're speaking about drafting a guy and not having the resources available in terms of minutes and rotation pieces to really push guys towards their ceiling. As a Celtics fan, we've kind of discussed this in terms of Romeo Langford. You've bought another mm-hmm. scoring guard. He's playing behind Jason Tatum, behind um, Jalen Brown, maybe possibly behind Gordon Hayward as well. And then you're, and there's been a discussion multiple times on this podcast and on podcasts that I've been a guest on of when does Romeo now become trade bait? Because, and as you say, it's at a lower asking price because teams know that you're not in a position to push them to where their ceiling is. The other, the other way you could look at this is, do you feel like one of these guys like Killian Hayes is, if you look online, the, the comparisons he's getting are crazy. Some people are saying, oh, he reminds me of a young James Harden or, I mean, the most realistic one I saw was Kevin O'Connor, where he said um, he's in a similar mold to D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. Now, if you was to think that he's not maximum ceiling, but he's reasonably achievable ceiling is D'Angelo Russell, is it worth moving on from a guy like Colin Sexton now and having somebody like Killian Hayes who's able to produce at a similar level to D'Angelo in two, three years when you're going to want to be contending again? So I, I think that's an interesting comparison, and I, I love Kevin O'Connor. I think that he's got really, really good insight, and even if I disagree with his opinions, they're usually so well thought out that I, I'm not going to sit there and say, okay, well, he's just crazy. It's okay. It's well-researched. I think Hayes is kind of more in the George Hill mold, um, where especially when you, you look at kind of that uh, defensive ability, he, he's obviously bigger than Hill. And I think that he can be a really good two-way combo guard that can get you into your sets. And for that reason, I think his presence on the roster calls Garland's spot into question a little more than Colin Sexton. I think if they were to go with, like, let's say Anthony Edwards as a guard, that, that's a guy that needs the ball in his hands all the time. I'm really not a huge Edwards guy when it comes to this draft. Um, but drafting Killian Hayes, I think that forces you to make a decision on Garland a little quicker uh, than you would expect. Um, because I, I, So one thing that I didn't factor in last year, because I, I'm not a huge draft guy, uh, I would say this draft is one that I've kind of invested in a little bit more because that's clearly been the way that the Cavs were going. Um, but when you came to last year, I think Garland, everyone kind of agreed that that was the best player available. Um, but some of uh, my more draft-minded friends have pointed out since then, they knew ahead of time that this was going to be a very guard-heavy draft and that that decision was going to force the Cavs into another difficult decision in 2020. And and now we're here in that moment. Um, So for that reason, I mean, uh, it's it's one of those situations where you almost don't want to be picking too high in the draft. You you want to examine trade-down options. You maybe even trade out. Like if Kevin Love is that hell-bent on getting out of town, you might want to see what value is out there if you're packaging this pick with him. Um, but a lot of these draft options, when you look at it, do, do come with some burden of, hey, you're going to have to look at a trade either now or in the future when it comes to these guards if you take another one. Which brings us to your third option, who surprisingly was another guard, right? Um, you, you mean Vassal? Yes, sir. 
So Devin Vassell, I kind of view more as a small forward, as a Otto Porter Jr. type. Um, I, I think he has that type of length. And I, I think eventually, uh, even beyond the three, I think he can play some small ball four. Um, the Cavs obviously are, are not uh, gifted with size and length right now. Um, but I, I do think that he's somebody that can really, really contribute on the defensive end. Uh, he has a really, really high release point. And I was a big fan of Otto Porter Jr. going into the draft. And I think Vassal is somebody that kind of fits in that mold. Looking at my notes, I was wrong. He, Tanker Fun has him as like a two slash three as well. When I've watched him, and I, I was speaking about him with uh, Jake Painting from Canis Hoops, who's a, like the draft guy over at SB Nation's Wolves. Mm-hmm. And he was, again, saying, if you're drafting Vassal, then you're drafting for defense. He's a very good offensive guy, but his upside is primarily as a defensive two-three that can slide up and slide down. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a position for him to kind of walk in and get good rotation minutes right away in the Cavs system? Absolutely, absolutely. No matter what the guard combination is, um, I, I know at one point in the year, the Cavs were kind of anticipating that Garland, Kevin Porter Jr. was going to become the backcourt of the future for them. Uh, then Sexton showed some growth. So it, it's really going to be a healthy competition between those three. And I think those three are all going to see 28 plus minutes a night staggered with whoever is earning the minutes. Uh, which I think is a healthy environment. But Vassal, you, you look at where he slots in, and it's likely at that small forward position. I, I think that he could compete immediately for a starting position there. Uh, Jetty Osman um, has filled in very well and has kind of um, established himself as a good three-point shooter but hasn't shown the consistency on the defensive end. Uh, Dylan Windler might be in that mix uh, as well. Um, but I, I think that what he brings on the defensive end really, really fits in well. And if you're assuming that they go into next season with Kevin Love and Andre Drummond as the big men, I can certainly see a situation where you have Garland, Kevin Porter Jr., Vassal, Love and Drummond, or any combination of the guards. But it's it's a very, very natural fit. And if the Cavs were to fall, let's say, down to six and Okongwu's off the board, I'd be perfectly comfortable taking Vassal in that position. And at 6'7", he's the same size as Chedi Usman. He's a prototypical two-slash-three guy. As you're saying, you feel like he could slide up to play the four at certain points as well. What I really like about him, and you'll have to, I haven't seen much Cavs since Beeline left, so you'll have to educate me on their type of play, especially pace. But he's exemplary in transition. He really knows how to push the pace off the floor. And I also like that when he catches the ball in a spot-up position, he'll fake and then he'll drive in off that spot-up. And his percentage off the the spot-up actually increases once a dribble's taken place for him. Is he going to get that sort of speed playing in the Cavs system? Is he going to get that pace? I I think he's one of those guys that kind of forces you to do that. I I think... The, the Cavs obviously want to play faster, but they haven't really. Like, that, that has been an issue with them is they, they haven't been playing with the, the pace that I think their roster justifies. Because you, you look at it, Kevin Love is very good at getting those defensive rebounds and getting that outlet pass there. He, he loves doing those three-quarter court passes. Um, Colin Sexton is one of the quickest players in the NBA and loves to get out in transition. And I think having a running mate with him uh, would be very, very beneficial. Um, and 
Garland, I, I think he, he's more of the guard, especially when he's playing with Sexton. It seems like if they're trying to get on transition, they get the ball calling right away. If the defense is already set, okay, now we get it to Garland and he's going to get you set up in the half court. And Vassal's somebody that is going to help you both in transition and in the half court. I, I think um, it's a really, really natural fit. And, and somebody whose intelligence, it, it, he, just, he just has a really high floor. And in a draft where I don't think the upside is there, uh, with any prospect to want to take a massive swing. Um, I, I think you, you want to take floor into consideration and who has already developed skills. Cause I, I think it, it always seems strange that we penalize players for being um, polished and, and well put together coming into a draft. Uh, you can always add to anybody. Um, and the, the, the fact that, um, people will really prioritize, like, let's say someone like Edwards, who I, I'm sorry, like, I get it. I see the athleticism. I see the body. But we're, we're talking about a guy that doesn't really do any one thing well. He doesn't finish at the rim. He doesn't shoot well. Um, he, he has as many turnovers as a, a, a assists. Like, it's, it feels like there's so much work to be done there. And if you can come out of this draft with a solid starter – I really think that you've come out ahead. I agree. I feel like with a guy like Vassal who can slot into your system and offer defense on the wing, which is somewhere where the league's going anyway, you need guys that can stop opposition wings because the league's so wing heavy now. Mm-hmm. On offense, as you say, he can operate more in the half court. He can operate a little bit more off the pick and roll. The only thing I've seen from him, he'd need to improve in order to be able to hang on offense on, with a starting unit is his ability cutting off ball. He seems to make bad reads. His cuts are a little bit slow sometimes, and a slow cut can kill an entire pick-and-roll play. Absolutely. No, I completely agree. And um, I don't think he'd be asked to do that a ton at the start, um, but that would be somewhere that I, I would identify as, hey, if you can add this dimension to your offense – you're, you're never going to be a focal point. You're, you're never going to be a massive part of this, but you can be, let's say, a 13-point-per-game contributor shooting 40% from three, playing very good defense at multiple positions. Um, that sort of guy can be the glue to almost any lineup in the NBA. You can fit that anywhere. Um, I, I remember that <laughs> there was a time where everybody said, well, you know what, why doesn't this team just go out and add a 3 and D wing? Do you know how rare those are? Do you, do you know how rare it is to, to find somebody that brings out of the table? I mean, you not necessarily at the wing position, but um, Marcus Smart, the, the way that he's rounded out his offensive game to go with him being one of the best defensive players in the NBA, uh, you don't need him scoring 20-plus points per game uh, because he will make any lineup better on any team in the NBA. And I, I think those glue guys are incredibly undervalued and a lot harder to find than people believe. You can't teach intangibles and you either run them that way or you don't. You're either built to throw yourself on the floor and to jump the passing lanes every time or that's not what you're about. As a Celtics guy with Marcus Smart, he's, um, he's exemplary in certain times, but you understand that to play that level of defense and to be that level of glue guy, there are going to be times where you have to accept the occasional 
Iconopoly misdemeanor where he's going to get thrown out the game for wanting to fight somebody or for losing. Or take an ill-advised shot. Yeah, you, you live I, with I that. I was because... going to stay away from the ill-advised shots because um, they're the, one of the most frustrating. We lost that with Marcus Morris last year and picked it up with Marcus Smart this year. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that, that that's fair to say. But you know what? It's one of those situations where it, I, I think Smart and the, and the difference between he and Morris is what he's bringing in every other aspect of the game um, makes it a whole lot more tolerable when, when he's going to pull up. And, you know, there's always a time where he's going to get ridiculously hot. I mean, we, we saw it in the Eastern Conference Finals that one year where uh, he single-handedly stopped the uh, the Celtics from getting swept by the Cavs. So um, the, the, the highs do come with him. And um, I, speaking as a fan, and, and I know we, we sometimes like to take a step back and, and try to remain objective, but when those guys that put in the dirty work all the time come through in a big way offensively, um, it just means so much more. It really connects with the fan base. And um, I, I mean, Cavs fans will always look at game six with Tristan Thompson um, throwing down alley-oop after alley-oop uh, and, and contributing on the defensive end uh, with very, very warm hearts. And anytime one of those fan favorite guys that always puts in the dirty work comes through in a big way offensively, I think uh, th- that's something that you always relish. If you told me two years ago, Marcus Smart was going to hold the record for most frees in a game, I would have taken <laughs> you to the mental hospital quite quickly. You know what? Funny story about that. So I, I was actually in Minnesota that night watching uh, Andrew Wiggins put up a triple double. And I looked that that was weird enough. And then I looked down at my phone and I saw the alert about Marcus Smart. And I was like, what is happening in the NBA tonight? You crossed over some Twilight Zone and took us all with you. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 actually why this virus is happening right now. That that, yeah. that was the, the turning point. We need you to go back to Minnesota and set things right. <laughs> that pretty much wraps us up um just so i can fill out the big board correctly for when i put this out so people can see uh, would you rather Vaselko be second option in the draft or your third option oh so that's so tricky because you know like if i'm grading on talent uh, i think you you're looking at okongwu hayes uh denny and Vassell. If you're talking about who I want, I honestly think Denny's a little bit more of a four, and I I would just rather have Vassal. Like I I think I would have him uh, at number two on my personal wants, even though I don't think he's necessarily in that same tier. Um, that's that's a guy I just really feel confident in that he's going to be a good NBA player, and. I, I think that he leaves the room available for you to draft a, a difference maker the following year. Cause let's be honest that the Cavs are still relying on a lot of young players and that means a lot of losses. So at the moment you're first, if you were to pick second without me having spoke to a golden state person yet, a mm-hmm. is yours at the second. If we're going by what everybody's choosing at the moment. Agreed. Yeah. yeah a friend absolutely. of mine, Good friend of mine and a co-host on this show, Brendan Nunez, um, also one of your stablemates over at Blue Wire, actually, for Kings Pulse. Um, he wants Onyeke at 12, so you just need to hope Sacramento don't find a way to jump up. And, <laughs> at the moment, you should be good. You should be yeah. good. Yeah, well, I, I, I think I'm, I'm higher on him than most. And uh, I, I think 
you look at what Bam uh, did in Miami, and I don't think Okongwu has that same type of playmaking ability, but that type of defensive versatility, I think, is very, very rare and special and something that um, very much fits in the modern NBA a lot more than a traditional center like a, a Wiseman. He feels like he's an upgraded version of Robert Williams, but I feel like Robert Williams' passing ability came on so much this year that maybe they're comparable long-term. But as a Celtics guy, I've had a few people say to me, please try and explore like in a written form. Like, Please try and write down in a way that Celtics could trade up to get a Kangaroo. Uh, that's oh, a different Man, he would be absolutely perfect. I mean, um, I, I know <laughs> a lot of Celtics fans were lusting over the possibility of a Tristan Thompson buyout, and I, I think Okongwu kind of really fits in that mold. Um, that is an absolutely perfect fit for the Celtics because he's somebody uh, that, that can play defense in those kind of half-court sets, and I think he can also um, – be someone that can run with and uh, defend uh, when you go with those smaller lineups and, and take advantage of all the talented wings that Boston has. It's just finding the right way to move up. I'm assuming it would be somebody like Romeo. Romeo seems to be the most common name that's thrown in as for reasons we spoke about earlier in the podcast, along with maybe the 26th and 30th. But mm-hmm. what teams are going to want to take two late first round picks in this draft that isn't so deep it's the tough. only thing i can think of is if golden state was trading back to simply add assets to make a later move um obviously it's not ideal because that would be a draft night trade and then you got to find a way to move those other two picks so they'd have to probably have something lined up um but I, I think there's going to be some interest in trading back and out of this draft from a lot of teams. It's just going to be whether or not the value is there for teams further back to trade up. Because let's be honest, it, in order to trade up, you need to have someone that's worth trading up for. And I, I don't really think there's a ton of that in this draft. Um, or at least the, the way that teams typically value picks. Uh, it's very similar to new cars. Like, it is valuable until you drive it off the lot. As soon as that pick becomes a, a name and a player, uh, the, the value uh, tanks immediately. They always, I always say it as the dream is worth more than the reality, which is, tends to be however I, how I look at it. Same, different analogy, same end, end result. I've been more vocal about trade, trying to move one or two of these picks out of the draft and moving into next year or trying to stagger. This is the, la- the last pieces of the Celtics championship um, championship treasure trove that they built with that absolute heist from Brooklyn and then the <laughs> subsequent heist that came from, from there. So I've been very vocal about trying to stagger these picks over the next two or three years and taking a stab at finding high-level role players or a diamond in the rough three times in three years rather than trying to do it three or four times in one. Yeah, because They tried that last year and Carson Edwards was pretty much a bust. Uh, Romeo, we I'm, haven't I'm, really seen. I'm baffled and still stunned to this day. Uh, not only that Boston passed up on him, but I, I believe that Spurs passed up on him as well. Um, I, as a Canadian, I really didn't want to see Brandon Clark go to the Celtics. And I, I think if they could have added him, I think that's, that's the type of defensive player that, that you've been talking about. And, uh, it really seemed like a seamless fit, and I, I was very surprised that they did not go that route. 
and this is why they should take three years to take three stabs at it because when you're picking so many in one year, players fall through the cracks because you're focusing on pick A until pick A is done. Now you're focused, which is, and it's quite difficult in my, I mean, these guys have spent all year scouting everybody. They're going in with a game plan, but when the pressure's on and then decisions have to be made in the five minutes you get per pick, it kind of allows you to overlook certain people. I would have loved Brandon Clark on the Celtics. And I've had people speak to me about that saying how they didn't, just like you'd said, how they didn't pick up on Brandon Clark was a very, very weird and tough pill to swallow. No, absolutely. And uh, you look at all the guys they, they drafted last year. And, I mean, Carson Edwards, I, I think Cavs fans are, are the only ones that have ever been hurt by him in the NBA uh, on multiple occasions. And, and he will haunt me for that reason. Um, but when you have all those guys, I, I think Boston has done a phenomenal job uh, drafting and developing players. Um, but they're starting to reach a point where there's just so many that I think it's going to be difficult to develop a lot of these guys. And um, I, I could see them doing something similar to what Toronto has done in the past and, and really utilizing the G League to, to get those guys the, the necessary rat, reps because um, that really does seem like the only uh, logical alternative uh, to them just sitting on the bench and, and kind of n- not getting – uh, the experience necessary to to round out their games to the point where they can be trusted on on a very good team because that's the thing with Boston is you have to bring a certain amount of reliability uh, for Brad, uh, Brad Stevens to put you into that rotation. He, it, it's almost better that you you do everything at a certain level, a certain base level, uh, and not kind of be that high variance player because they, they have the guys that they need to rely on. Jason Tatum has taken a, a leap to star. Jalen Brown has been phenomenal this year. Um, and it, it's tough for a guy like Lankford, as you said, to, to get the reps necessary when he doesn't bring uh, a reliable presence to the rotation. And this is the, the other worry where you're saying you don't want these draft picks sitting on a bench. This is a team with championship aspirations. To have six or seven guys in their first or second year in the league on the bench isn't the way you go about winning an NBA championship in the next year or two. No. So again, it's very roster crunchy for them. That pretty much wraps us up. I do want to say thank you for coming on. I've filled in your big board. I will be, I've still got quite a few more people to speak to before we can release this. Um, it's been a great speaking to you. I'm sorry to hear you're leaving Fear the Sword, but I'm happy that that means whatever you're doing with your podcast is successful enough for you to feel comfortable in making that decision. Oh, I, I really appreciate it. This, this was very enjoyable. Uh, you can have me back anytime. I, I've enjoyed this conversation. And, you know, it's, it, maybe, maybe it's a reflection of how much pain outside of a few years that the Cavs have had that I just want, I just want a little bit of stability. I, I don't need to be a contender. Just let me be Indiana. Give, give me some guys that, that are going to get us in the playoffs. Have a couple enjoyable years. That, that's all, all I really want. So uh, maybe that's why I'm a little more risk averse when it comes to this draft. No, and that makes perfect sense. You had the LeBron years, but before then you had a lot of bad. Then you tasted the good. Then LeBron, as LeBron does when he leaves, he leaves teams in a state of destruction. That's not a bad thing. He wants to win and he knows how to win. I'm not throwing any shade at LeBron. And then as he leaves you back into the rebuilding phase and 
you're stuck with Kevin Love's Albatross contract. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I was okay with riding things out with Kevin Love. Um, my whole big thing is, hey, if he wants to stay here, allow him to stay here. I think he's earned that. Um, I think that the presence of good players is good for the development of others, especially if they're bought in. And while he's been frustrated, I, I think for the most part, he's been a fairly good teammate. Um, but unfortunately we, we are reaching that point where he has wanted his, he's wanted to get out of town. And uh, for that reason, I think the Cavs need to continue to explore options. I don't think they, they should ever, uh, give up assets just to move him. There were opportunities to move him just for expirings, and they still have to do what's best for them, and he still has to honor his contract in the meantime. Um, but, yeah, it's just one of those situations where I, I'm. It, it is unfortunate that their opportunity to run it back was kind of derailed immediately when he broke his foot, basically in training camp um, last season. And I I know some of the veterans have spoken out about being frustrated uh, that the team quickly pivoted to being a rebuild. Uh, But if Kevin Love's out until the trade deadline, you're rebuilding. You've already lost LeBron and you lost Kevin Love. That that was not a decision the team made. Uh, That that was one that was kind of thrust upon them. So um, I'm sure they're going to continue to explore options to, to move Kevin Love. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Drummond gets moved. Uh, you, you look at his contract, he's likely going to opt in and become a large expiring a, in a year uh, leading into a great free agency class where the, the salary cap is projected to go down. So I, I think maybe there's an opportunity to add assets and take money on the books. Uh, so, so we'll see what's, what's going on in the future with this team. It's all interesting. It is really interesting. I'm going to be keeping my eye on the Cavs. It's, they're one of those teams that, for me, I don't have like a ill will or goodwill towards them. I'm kind of on the, on the fence with the Cavs. A lot more than I am with the Sixers or the Bucks. I'm, I'm very negative towards those. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I, with rebuilding teams, I do like to keep my eye on them because you always get the feel-good story when things start to go right eventually. It, it's more interesting for me. It's why I was a big fan of what the Grizzlies were doing this year, even though it was uh, not great as a Celtics fan. Yeah, no, 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 I definitely hear you there. And uh, I'm, it, it's a very, very fun time to be a fan because there's no expectations. You can't really, you can't be hurt by it. You can be worn down and you can be apathetic at times. Um, but it, it is fun to see young guys kind of figure it out. And uh, especially when, when they do seem like a, a group of good uh, young players, like um, even though the, their ceilings are kind of yet to be determined, um, the, the three guards that they have are all really hard workers, and uh, I've heard nothing but good things off the court. It's all about fitting, putting pieces around them now that can complement what they're about. Moving Kevin Love feels like it will be like an addition by subtraction in terms of he doesn't want to be there. He's aging anyway. I feel like his stock's probably the lowest it's been in over a decade at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm personally hoping, keeping my eye on Brooklyn. Um, I think there's potential there, maybe for a Karis LeVert trade. That, that would be something that I'd be willing to uh, even put some picks into to, to uh, make happen, especially LeVert being an Ohio guy. I think that, that would make a lot of sense. And uh, if you do draft Okongwu and there's some way to make that happen, um, you, you reunite two friends in Kyrie and Love, and Brooklyn seems very motivated to – do things that make their stars happy. Yeah. Um, so it, that, that would be something that would be very interesting to me. And do you feel like that would give your team a solid rebuilding platform at that point? 
a combo. Oh yeah, I, I would uh, be thrilled with the, the three guards they have, Levert and Okongwu. That that would be a, a core that I, I don't know if that ever really has a contending ceiling. You, you'll need to see what happens there and the, the internal development. Um, but I do think that that is the core of an entertaining basketball team that that has um, the, the versatility you need in today's NBA. It gives you your Indiana level stability that you're craving for. Exactly. That, that's all I'm asking for. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, thank you for listening. Justin, thank you for joining me. I appreciate it very much. We'll definitely speak again. It's not going to be the last time everybody hears from Justin on this podcast. Good luck with everything you're doing over at FID. Um, what's the podcast called? The Chase Down Podcast. The Chase Down Podcast. There we go. And everybody, try and keep an eye on. I'm assuming you're going to be releasing one last written piece before you bow out. Or bow away. Oh, God. I actually haven't planned on that. Um, I, I put you under pressure on Twitter, but uh, maybe maybe I should look into that. So uh, <laughs> maybe uh, keep, keep an eye on my feed. How about that? There we go. And we'll catch you again on Wednesday when I think we've got a guest. We'll find out if there's a guest on Wednesday. You'll be as surprised as me. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>